Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope your day's been going well. Maybe you just got done listening to Susie Larson live, which is always an awesome hour. I'm so glad you've stuck with the show today because we've got Guy Talk coming up in just a minute. It's going to start, and then hour two, Dr. Andy Scuddinga is going to be joining me. So I got a great show lined up for you. I hope you can spend all two hours with me, and I hope your day's going good. The power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Bill. Hello. Yeah, so a busy, heavy day. Um, My heart's heavy with what's going on overseas. I mean, I don't know what you had on your to-do list today, but Vladimir Putin on his to-do list today said invade a country. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's horrible. And there's so much uh, uh, sadness right now going on with so many people in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as soon as we sort of buy into the illusion, right, that that we can that this world is a place in which we can make our home, then the hor- this is just it's just abject horror. There isn't really upside that you can find, and it's hard to find a bright light. This this is uh, man raising hand against man, and um, there there is nothing within God's kingdom that um, that where, where this is a shalom bringing kind of event. This is just the troubled world in which we live, and and it is the real deal. It's really painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to comment on that? I mean, it's kind of the big news of the day. It is. And what's sad about it, and and I know some people in Ukraine as well as Czechoslovakia, and they're terrified. We just got a letter from a pastor at a church over there, and he said that basically uh, people are stocking supplies as best they can, but they're mainly trying to get out of the areas that are close to where the Russians Mm -hmm. are coming in. But he said, we know this is not good, and we know we'll never be the same. And he said, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. As we know, there is lots of hostility to the gospel. It seems that, I don't know, it seems more hostile than ever. And you guys sense that as well? Yes, absolutely. In the media especially. Yeah. There was a church that was proposing going into a neighborhood here in the Twin Cities, and there was an article in the local paper. And I was on it. I was like looking at the responses to listeners. I read a couple of them. And these were three that were in a row. I'll, I'll read a couple of them. Uh, there goes the neighborhood. We have too many holy rollers as it is. These groups are guilty of dumbing down Christianity. Mm. There's a church going in, mm-hmm. a Bible-believing church. Mm-hmm. The other one is this is a toxic cult whose leaders and members go out of their way to discriminate and attack the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. This beautiful building is now in the hands of a vile cult. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I know some missionaries, I, I don't know them very well, but I heard a missionary speak. He has a mission in New York City. And I think lots of groups can rent the high schools in New York City on the weekends for whatever. Sure, uh, It comes before the mayor that a church wants to rent, you know, like they do. Uh, and it it was shot down because this church held to traditional Christian beliefs on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, and so that's, I mean, there's an example of, a liberal city shutting out the Christian church because of that issue. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of days over the last few years, Bill, as we hear this kind of feedback related to the church, I think I would have mostly just stayed and said, yeah, you know, this is probably just going to get worse. And I think the hostility is going to get worse. But but I can say even just something as recently as maybe an hour and a half ago, uh, I finished up seven weeks of time with young people, about 30 students in a class that were in a class called evangelism and discipleship. And we just finished for spring break. It's the end of the class. And like these guys here, like the Toms, I mean, been around vocational ministry for a lot of years and, and seeing... I think what you can perceive to be God's movement in some unusual ways for unusual seasons ahead. And so I've been in that same classroom so many years now, since about 2013, sat with so many students. And I think there's something unusual afoot on the flip side of it. And we've talked on this show often that it's in the midst of persecution that God usually tends to raise up people that shine light in a different Mm -hmm. kind of way in the midst of that. And it's one thing to see that in history. But I told the students, I said, this is the first time I've sat in this room and, and I'm sensing something a little unusual afoot. Like your your faith doesn't easily play anymore in the midst of culture. And that forces some decision makings among you, uh, decision making among you. And and I'm watching you. You're young. It's it's new. It's You're trying to figure out what the story is all about. But there is an unusual energy in the room related to wanting to say yes to the kingdom that, frankly, I have not seen before in that specific room among hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students. So this is a little fresh for me. It's not more than two hours old. Um, but we sort of just cried together in the classroom and, and talked about that there really is this kingdom that they're saying yes to. And I think it's directly related to the fact that there's a lack of ease in the midst of it. So it, they really are having to choose something that isn't just socially acceptable anymore. And they're starting to give their lives to it in a different kind of way. Mm. I've done a lot of research into church history in America, not only around the world, but in America. After World War II, when the soldiers came back, and it was a very rough <laughs> war, and there were a lot of people died, they didn't understand PTSD. The church became a very caring community for hurting people. What happened is the leadership and those coming out of seminary leaned so heavily toward let's love everybody that the truth got lost in the process. Mm-hmm. And now to speak the truth, why, that's not very loving. Mm-hmm. And we're accused of that all the time. Where Jesus, if you look at Jesus, you look at Paul, you look at Peter, they had the great ability to speak love to people, but truth at the same time, go and sin no more. That's not popular today, but that's where the church has to come back to. And if we don't do it on our own, then the Lord allows persecution, which forces us to do that. And I've been able to sit and talk with people that lived under persecution, and they said, honestly, it was the best thing that happened at the church Mm. because it forced us to really stand up for what we believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I regularly pray for the persecuted church overseas. Uh, Lord, help them die before they deny you. And then I pray that for myself. Lord, help me die before I would deny you. And it, it reminds me of in Nazi Germany, Martin Niemöller, a Lutheran pastor, gets oh, yeah. arrested. They put him in jail. One, I think of parishioners, somebody that knew Niemöller shows up in his cell to visit and says, Pastor Niemöller, why are you here? And he said, friend, why aren't you here? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think, too, Tom, when you're talking about the, the truth that we need to stand up for, uh, there's a doctrinal form of truth, meaning there's sort of like a propositional truth. There's an idea, truth right. about what the kingdom is about. But I think when we start talking about you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, there, there is like a way of life that is the truth, meaning the way of life of freedom and hope and joy that it has a supernatural source to it, right. but manifests itself in our natural life. And we become the kind of people that as we partner with God in these ways, we begin to... It, exhibit the truth of the kingdom, which is that the beloved have been set free from the power of sin and death. The curse has been broken. The tomb is empty. And and, and in a society that is hostile, 
towards Christians, we get a chance to exhibit the freedom of the truth in the midst of that. And so to, to be a person of the truth isn't necessarily beating the culture over the head with the truth. It is manifesting the only form of truth that actually exists. Mm-hmm. And that's that sin has been broken. And so it speaks into the idolatry of the culture when we're living a different kind of life of freedom. You will get persecuted for that because the enemy wants no part of showing the freedom of the beloved from the power of sin and death. And I, and I heard a Chinese pastor say, do not pray for an end to persecution. Persecution, good for a church, is what he said. It for sure is, and, right? And much as I don't want American Christians to be persecuted, American Christianity has become so horribly unbiblical in, in various denominations mm-hmm. that, I mean, who's going to die for Christ when you can believe whatever you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, but So if persecution were to come to America... I don't know what you'd see in these churches that are not following scriptures anymore. I don't know. Well, and you guys have been observers and participants in the church, in the life of the church or sort of institutional Christianity for the better part of 30 years. And and we're still, I think we're at the end of the tail end of a movement that started in maybe the 80s, I want to say 90s. When did Willow Creek start with the big megachurch seeker oh, service yeah. kind of model, right? So there yeah. was a new form of church brought into being that was terribly successful yeah. numerically. When Willow Creek started the seeker model, it was the idea of creating a kind of church establishment that was more palatable to people. They wanted to be able to come in the doors. There were easy sermons to listen to. There was coffee to sip on. There was programs for the kids. I'm not saying those things are all bad things. They created a tremendous amount of numerical growth. But I do think that we're, we're sort of seeing now a couple of generations, and we were talking about this in my classes, the young people haven't experienced a discipleship growth that was commensurate with the numerical growth of the church. And there's a bit of a reckoning coming, I think, for some of the larger churches that didn't they were very successful in bringing people in the door. Maybe perhaps I would suggest not across the board. I would never make a blanket statement like that, but on a pattern basis, less successful in helping deal with the complexity of life in this world, thus the rise of mental health crisis, thus the rise of not having an alternative message to the LGBT community, thus the rise of, of a, a big biblical ignorance. There's just been a lot going on that, I, that I'm seeing among my young people as a result. So I think there's a new way of gathering together that's coming. Mm-hmm. So... In light of that, when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm. So when we, uh, you know, earlier on, I was reading some of those comments, there's such hostility to the gospel. So you assume that the message of the cross is utter foolishness to those people. Fair? They exactly. Don't get, they don't get it till the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I shouldn't expect them to. I, I do. <laughs> I get angry about this stuff. But we get, the world will always be the world. The mm-hmm. world's still the same. You're never going to change it. What's, what song is that from? You're nobody till somebody loves, loves you. you. Okay. Which isn't a very good song for a celibate to <laughs> sing. But <laughs> I just finished reading the book Live Not My Lies. Mm. And it's a tremendous book if you haven't read it. But it's talking about communism in Europe. And in Czechoslovakia, one major pastor was thrown in prison for a stand for Jesus, and it was rough. He was thrown in the worst prison there was. He's in prison, and the moment they throw him in, all the people in the prison come up to him and say, you know, who are you? And he said, I'm a Christian pastor, and they all laughed at him. They said, we've been here a long time. There's no God. You know, why don't you, if you, if your God really does something, have him work a miracle. He said, well, what, what would you like? <laughs> and he said, well, we've been in here for years. We don't have any cigarettes. He said, what do you mean cigarettes? You know, well, let's ask for it. So they stood around. These guys actually prayed with them for 15 minutes. When they finished, two guards showed up at the door, and the first time in the history of that prison, they came with boxes of cigarettes, and half that group became Christian that day. Wow. 
So I think we're going to see the, the outpouring mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit in ways like that, because logic alone doesn't bring people into the kingdom of God. Agreed. Oh. So, Bill, go buy us some cigarettes, would you? No, I'm not doing that, Tom Brock. Not? No, no, not. That was Tom Brock. Let's be clear. That was Tom <laughs> Brock. Tom Brock. Tom if you don't know the voices of Guy Talk, that was Tom Brock. The only yes. cigarette I ever had was a candy one <laughs> yes. back in the 50s and early 60s. I remember those. They were really? good to eat. Did it make you lightheaded? Uh, it did. <laughs> <laughs> hope that goes away someday. Uh, I hope so, too. All right, you are listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Uh, the power panel is pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. We're interested in knowing what questions you might have. Maybe it's a question about Scripture. Maybe it's a question about the culture. Maybe it's a question about what's going on in the world today. We'll do our very best to uh, tackle it. So let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. already missed you, but we are uh, doing Guy Talk, which is what we do on Thursdays, and the Guy Talk power panel is pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner, who is a professor here at the University of Northwestern, and Peter, this is your second time on the radio today. You're you're Mr. Everywhere. I guess so. Yeah, I started this yeah. morning with Carmen, and boy, she just really did such a nice job of, of framing what we all woke up to today, which is yeah. the troubling events of the Ukraine situation, so she's, yeah. she was great this morning. We're all praying. Yep. Here's a question, gentlemen. Uh, is the need for purification in purgatory to enter heaven a denial of Jesus' sacrifice and death for our salvation? Well, let's explain what purgatory is. Okay. 1520 or so, Martin Luther is a, a Catholic priest in Germany, and Tetzel is coming through his town, jingling his money box, saying, every copper that in my coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. In other words, give us money so we can build St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, and we'll get your grandma out of purgatory quicker. Luther heard that and went and nailed the 95 theses to the door of the cathedral, starting the (laughs) Protestant Reformation. So, to answer the person's question, I'm going to try to be super fair to the Catholics. I think a Catholic would say that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins so we don't go to hell. But we still have to go to purgatory to get our soul ready for heaven. Mm -hmm. It's possible to spend hundreds and hundreds of years in purgatory. If you go to certain cathedrals in Mexico, you'll see a picture of people in flames crying out to the Virgin Mary on a throne to get them out of purgatory, holding up their scapulars. If if you wear a scapular around your neck, supposedly you'll get uh, time off of purgatory. Um, my problem with purgatory, it's just nowhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. When you die, you go to heaven or hell. There's mm-hmm. nothing about going to purgatory for 50 years, 100, 800 years. It's just, and I do, they would say, I think they would say, I think, uh, the Catholics, that um, Christ's death paid for our sins, but we still have to be purified like we are in this life. Okay, but where is, Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. He paid for my sin debt, not just my sin debt for hell, but my, you know, I, I, I you and I do not get punished like we deserve right now for our sins. So I, I see nothing, in First in Peter 3 is where some Catholics think they get purgatory, where there's two men standing on Judgment Day and one goes in heaven having to go through the fire and the other goes in with reward. 
both go to heaven and both on they're talking about judgment day they're not talking 500 years in purgatory mm-hmm. they're talking about judgment day in first corinthians 3 you mm-hmm. thought about this before tom brock i did no, I th- you thought about yeah, this you, subject. You, you oh, know your history oh, of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's okay. off the top of your head. That is. This that's is where impressive. this comes from, though. Mm-hmm. When you look at the, where Protestantism came from, it came from this very issue. It came out of that whole thing with purgatory. And the, here's the difference. Luther said, unless I see it plainly in the Scriptures, I'm not going to believe it, and I'm not going to do it. Catholicism has said for a long time before that, and even now, holy tradition is on the same par mm-hmm. as Holy Scripture. So they continue to get new revelations or new understanding, and that's where the Pope with the cardinals and that can actually come out with a, an edict that would have nothing to do with the Bible. Protestants said, no, absolutely not. We're going to stick with the Bible, Old New Testament, the way it's set up, 39 the Old, you know, in the New Testament. We're not going to go beyond that. If it isn't there, we're not going to make it a doctrine because doctrine in Christianity is the problem. Doctrine puts you in a position of if you don't believe this truth, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And Protestants said, unless we see it plainly in Scripture, we're not going to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, um, and it was interesting to see what developed from that as well in the sense of that there's also a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers, meaning that uh, people besides the priests could begin to wield the biblical text. And you combine that with the technological innovation of the printing press so that the scriptures are no longer just in the hands of a few priests who were, I would say, misinterpreting some understandings about purgatory. But now you have, everybody should have access to the text and not only should everybody have access to it, we can make that possible through the printing press. And so now the biblical text ended up in the hands of everyone, which had had a tremendous benefit, but it also had a potential drawback because everybody began interpreting the text Mm -hmm. in all sorts of different ways. And then we have 400 denominations and all this arguing and fighting. And so, you know, there's just so many different dimensions to that conversation that Luther, I think, had the right impulse to reform the church through the use of the authority of scripture. Hmm. But when it got in the hands of everybody, and we should all have access to the biblical text, I'm not suggesting that, but we should also simultaneously have access to how do we get faithfully into the biblical text so we can best rightly divide it. And, and I think that's where we're still living today. And, you know, just to be clear, I'm pretty sure on this. The Orthodox Church, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy, Russian, I don't think they have purgatory either. So, you know, there's a whole huge branch that goes all the way back to the beginning of Christendom that doesn't have purgatory. I'm pretty sure on that. Mm-hmm. Second thing, too, when Catholics, um, uh, boy, my, my, I'm getting old, Tom. I, I just, know you are, Tom. I, I just... Uh, <laughs> I, Did you, you just know. make a reference to Tom Parrish or to yourself? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. When you said, I'm getting old, Tom. That, Are you talking I'm, to yourself? I'm or? getting so old. I don't know the answer <laughs> oh, yeah, Okay. To that. <laughs> Maybe I should take over then. <laughs> Please. Please. No, I mean, I, I, and you know, can you be wrong about this issue and still saved? I think you can. Mm, sure. I think lots of people are wrong about a lot. I'll discover on Judgment Day I was wrong about a lot of stuff, but... And nevertheless, it's a, I think it's a ser- It's one of the reasons I can't be a Roman Catholic. Purgatory and indulgences are still doctrines of the Catholic Church. They're not as crass as they were in 1520, but it's still there. Yeah, my own grandmother, growing up in the 1940s, grew up in a situation where the theology of purgatory was um, implemented in the church as saying that if you have 12 children, she grew up in a central Minnesotan town, and there's lots of big families in these central Minnesotan towns, and that's a direct result of a doctrine of purgatory that said if you have 12 children, then you bypass purgatory and you go straight into heaven. And so families had tons of children, 
uh, as a result of that. And so it does still persist. But I think mm. the other side of it, and, and something where I found some real richness, is that there is a lot of beautiful theological writings for the first 1,500 years of the church. And so while I resist or reject the idea of purgatory, yep. I don't want to throw out absolutely. the no. idea of the unbelievable richness that oh, has come through that tradition as well. And you know, one, one other tiny historical fact. Well, you know, people say Martin Luther should not have left the Catholic Church. Look at all the thousands of cults and sects. And uh, Martin Luther did not leave the Catholic right, Church. He was, he was thrown yeah. out of the Catholic Church. The ban yeah. of the empire was put on him. Anybody that found Luther could kill him. So it's not like he left to find his own denomination. He had no intention of leaving the Catholic <laughs> Church. One of the real issues is this. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven by which we should be saved except the name of Jesus. Do you ever notice the church seems to do everything but that? I mean, we talk about baptism. We talk about, mm-hmm. you know, whether you believe in this or that or whatever. And so what we do is we make these, like I said, doctrines out of these other ideas, some biblical, some non-biblical, mm-hmm. and we keep, we try to make that binding. I can have fellowship with you or I can't because you don't believe the same thing I do. When the only thing the Scripture talks about in terms of salvation is the person of Jesus and kneeling before him and submitting to him, and then the rest of it we need to simply talk through and begin to understand in a different light. We don't do a good job in that in Bible study. We don't do a good job in that in teaching. And I haven't seen too many seminaries, forgive me, that don't do a good job with that one. Yeah, I agree. I had the fortune of, of um, studying under a theology professor who, I think he has like a double doctorate from Princeton and Oxford or something like that. I mean, he was way, using so much of his brain, more than I would ever have access to. And, and he, uh, he used to always say, most of my theology is written in pencil. Sometimes it's really dark pencil, but I'm willing to erase or change that theology based on new evidence that maybe I haven't heard or misunderstood. But there's certain things about our faith that we need to write in blood, right? Where mm-hmm. where our faith collapses if certain things aren't true. If that tomb isn't empty, we actually have no faith. Exactly. There's, I mean, First Corinthians 15 says we are the most to be pitied if the resurrection from the dead is not true. If Amen. he was not raised, then forget it. Like yeah. you write those things in blood. Other things, I think you can be like, that's a pretty dark sharpie. I'm going to write it in, but I could pull, blot that out if I have mm-hmm. to, and I'm not going to divide entirely from you because we have a disagreement. And, and Working through that in humility, Tom Parrish, I think that would be part of what can bring some healing to the church. I agree. Yeah. Well, we have three uh, people in the studio that were raised in a Catholic tradition. Yeah, that's me. And so I'm curious, Peter, what was your earliest understanding of purgatory as a, as a kid? Yeah, you know, I it wasn't my parents... Um, didn't really teach that. like, sure. and, and so I, I wasn't terribly aware of it until later, until I, I started hearing about the experience from my grandmother about why I had so many aunts and uncles, that she mm-hmm. really was persisting within the belief that if she could get to 12, that she would get out of purgatory. But it was never, it never took shape in my faith, but it was certainly shape in the faith around me as I was growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Was purgatory ever an option for someone who may have not led a good life? And we were a little nervous about what might have happened to Uncle Al. So maybe he's in that for sure. Period of transition, and maybe he can make his way into heaven. Yeah, no, I think for sure. I mean, Brad, I, you would know I could about be this, wrong right? on this, but I think Catholics would say only Christians go to purgatory. Okay. You go to hell if you're not a Christian. Okay. All right. Uh, but you can, But if, if you're a, a believer, you go to purgatory and get purged for however many years. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what the word purgatory means, is the purging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it better when the Catholics are talking. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody goes. That's great. So let me know what your questions are. We'd love to hear. Um, so just text them over eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Maybe you like email better. Bill at myfaithradio.com.
for being with us today we've got um, guy talk happening guys who talk they're all here they're ready to talk and then some sometimes you can't get them to stop talking you know <laughs> which is the case every once in a while it's always a good thing right yes mm-hmm. it is because right. it's a lot of information that's come out we've got a lot of nice i don't uh, think that's a good thing well no i mean you've added a lot of I good i love great, to talk and talk and talk no, you do I we know. know. I was focusing on you. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of uh, nice responses have come as a result of our last segment. Uh, I think a lot of people considered it to be a great discussion and a lot of good conversation. Mm. And so thank you for that. Uh, let's see. Um, very interesting discussion on purgatory versus hell, etc. Could you explain if a Catholic believer gets married to a Lutheran believer by a Lutheran pastor... Does this marriage count in the eyes of the Catholic Church? It's a great question. Uh, I had a very conservative Catholic priest who now is teaching on EWT and uh, TV network nationally. Nice man, but get this. And and I wanted, I asked him this question on, I had a radio show once. If a person is a, is a Catholic, leaves the Catholic Church and joins, we'll say, a Lutheran church or a Baptist church. Is that person going to hell? And he said, yes. Well, And I said, okay, but wait a minute. This person believes it's only by the grace, it's by the blood of Christ, believes in the resurrection of Christ. Because they left the Catholic church and joined the Lutheran church, they're going to hell. Mm. And he said, yes. That was one person's opinion. Well, actually, correct. I think this guy's a theologian. Okay. I think he was giving me the official doctrine of the Catholic Church. I don't think a lot of priests would go in that direction. Okay. But I wanted the official teaching, and that's what he said. And this guy is, I could give you his name, you might know who he is, but anyway. All right. All right. Yeah, I, when I, I was had to do some research um, when I was in grad school around rituals of initiation, just simply meaning like baptism, confirmation, communion, in both the Protestant and in the Catholic Church. And uh, consistent with this question, as I was talking to somebody who had grown up in the Catholic Church, this was probably again in about the 1940s or 50s, and he was confirmed in the Catholic Church, but confirmed as a soldier of Christ. There, we're not that far removed from both Protestants claiming that Catholics are going to hell right. and Catholics claiming that Protestants are going right. to hell. That that has been the conversation. It still is pretty ripe in places like Ireland or downtown Glasgow in Scotland. I mean, we are we are in. Scotland not too long ago, and the two soccer teams were playing against each other, and we were counseled to stay out of the city because one of the soccer teams represented more of the Catholic constituency and one was more of the Protestant constituency. So there's still both sides are claiming that of one another. And the point is, is this person, he fell in love. He was in the Catholic Church, and he fell in love with a woman that he was in some sort of choir class with who was Lutheran, and they had to have a covert wedding ceremony. But maybe you guys know better than me on this uh, uh, marriage is one of the means of the sacraments in the Catholic Church in which God dispenses his grace upon mm-hmm. the people involved. And so if it's a mixed denominational marriage like that, then there is, um, it, it's sort of, it's not rendered a true one flesh union marriage. I mean, Protestants and Catholics have very different views even on that. You're mm-hmm. not allowed to divorce within the Catholic Church because when God pe- brings people together, it's that one flesh union. So there's a lot of differences between the two, and they're both shouting across the aisle at each other still. Mm-hmm. And we all keep missing the point. The point, the problem I see in both Protestantism and in uh, Catholicism is that we put too much emphasis on our institution. 
too much emphasis on the way we've done it, too much emphasis on our history, and we almost skip Jesus altogether. Mm-hmm. If we really got serious and talked about Jesus, I can tell you now, if we had a, if we had a room of Roman Catholics and Protestants that came together and really were forced, can't leave for 48 hours, you're going to stay awake, you're going to talk, I think there'd be more consensus coming up than we could imagine because okay. too often we talk about the wrong things. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. You know, just a practical issue here. I mean, my Catholic dad married my Lutheran mom. Uh, they were both from Columbus, Nebraska. It was a big deal that that happened. Yeah, for sure. That was not a, a good thing oh, yeah. by grandma or on either side. And so how was I raised? Dad went to Catholic Church every Sunday. Mom took the kids to Lutheran Church every Sunday. And then we'd come home and pretty much never talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I I think that... I, I, we were all baptized Catholic and raised Lutheran. I think that was probably their compromise. But you know, you want to be on the same page. And I, if some, if somebody is going to marry an unbeliever, and I'm not saying Catholics are unbelievers, but if, I, you, I don't do it. You know, Bible's clear: a, a believer marries a believer. Agreed. I, if somebody is going to, I mean, I'm sorry because of what we just talked about for half an hour. I can't personally join the Catholic Church. And I can't encourage someone to join them. I'm not saying, therefore, all Catholics are not saved. I think I know Catholics that are, but I wouldn't go in that direction. Yeah. So, dur- during this program, the Vatican sent me an email saying, you're not invited. One more point. Uh, this, this present pope has said that atheists go to heaven if they do good. Mm-hmm. That's what the pre- Now, I don't think that's Catholic doctrine, but that's the head of the church right now. Yeah. But I think both of you two would would say that you can look through any theological history, whether it be Eastern Orthodox or Russian Orthodox or more conservative Protestant or Calvinism or Catholicism, and, and you can point to a lot of different instances where maybe a theological idea got pretty dodgy. Mm-hmm. You know, that the Protestants have hardly been exempt from really dodgy ideas. They've been the primary perpetrators in American culture sure. of the health and wealth gospel that yeah. has just destroyed the lives of so many people. One yep. thing you can say in, in, in um, support of the Catholic Church is they've never really gone to that crazy health and wealth place, but they also, part of the reason for that is they have a global church that has a lot of people who are in interacting in cultures where there's a lot of pain and sorrow and suffering. And so they have a much more robust theology of suffering and yes, what it does do. in and, our lives. Whereas, yep. whereas Western Protestants are, are believing in this tremendous deceit so often mm-hmm. that somehow God is only evidenced in his faithfulness by the blessing of our lives materially. And it, it's just so absurd and it's killing and, a lot of people. Well, to show you how crazy this gets. So yeah. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and I'm talking 50s and 60s. The standard joke among the Lutherans was this joke about the... Catholic puppies for sale, and then somebody gets the the puppy, you know, and and now it's no longer a Catholic puppy; it's Lutheran because its eyes have been opened, you know, because the puppies don't have their eyes open. But what, what drove me crazy is that when I got to know some of the Catholic friends, they yeah. said we tell the same joke; it's just Lutheran puppies. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you, and to there is no church that has better moral teaching than the Catholic Church. Agreed. I mean, who's who's out in front of the abortion clinics? It's the Catholics. That are that are praying in front of the abortion clinics. So I, my problem, and it's a huge problem, is when it comes to issues like salvation by grace alone, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, and purgatory and indulgences and praying to the saints and Mariology, et cetera, et cetera. I just can't go there. Yeah, and I share those same concerns with you, yeah. but. I, it was a few years ago, especially when I was having to teach a course on Christian social ethics, and it was so new to me, and I didn't really know how to think about these things. I was surprised at the lack of 
helpful, reliable teaching coming out of different Protestant camps about mm-hmm. how do Christians engage socially with the topics mm-hmm. that you mentioned in mm-hmm. terms of abortion or mm-hmm. in vitro fertilization or warfare or the dignity of humanity, like all of these things. You go to the Vatican documents, there's a lot of really deep and powerful yes. writing on a lot of those topics. I just was amazed. I didn't even know they existed. And you can go to Vatican.ca or whatever it is and find all sorts of writings that are unbelievably rich. <laughs> and again, how, and you're right. I mean, the Catholic Church teaches homosexual behavior is a sin. Right. The present pope is in favor of gay civil unions. Just so, and I think he'd probably still say the behavior is wrong, but that just shows you how... Yeah, there's there's uh, some tension happening right now, mind. for sure, yeah, with some I of those issues. Conservative yeah. Catholics are not real thrilled with this pope. Right. Agreed. But you can see how we got there. We got there very simply. You look at Roman Catholicism, their emphasis was on obeying the church, Emphasis for centuries was on, you know, not going, you know, getting out of purgatory as soon as you could. Mm-hmm. So the rules mattered. And if you follow the rules, you don't, you're not as long in purgatory. Protestants, on the other hand, went the other direction. We put so much emphasis on grace that we forgot about, well, how does that apply to reality? Yeah. How does that appeal up? up to sin and things like that. And so we wound up in two completely different mm-hmm. camps. And you're right, Catholicism is very strong on the moral issues. Uh, but the Lutherans have to wake up and start speaking about that too as the Protestants. You know yeah. what I love? I, I love going to Europe and going to the thousand-year-old cathedrals. Often, as you walk into the door, a huge sculpture over the door for everyone to see as you walk in. Here is Jesus sitting on the throne. The saved are being pulled up to heaven. The damned are being pulled down to hell. And that's what people saw every Sunday as they went to church in the Middle Ages. I think we need to get that back. But also, you go into the church and the cross is, is prominent. That's how you get saved from hell if you're paying attention. But there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Peter, I'll direct this question to you. Eternal security is something my friends have tried to convince me is wrong. But I believe it's true. What are your thoughts? What, how are they? How do you think they're talking about eternal security? The idea that if you, you can know that that you're going to heaven regardless, kind of thing, and or that you know, I, yeah, I guess maybe always, yeah, understand the question for sure. Yeah, um, eternal security is something my friends have tried to convince me is wrong. Like you can't know. Um, That's what I'm guessing. Oh. Yeah, oh. well, okay. So I would maybe take just a slightly different angle at this. And this is actually intersecting in my personal life currently, and it has been over the last five years, is is I started to get to be honest with God uh, about five years ago. I said, you know what? If I'm just like you know, being raw with you, God, I'm a little scared of dying. You know, I'm not, I'm pretty sure I don't want to, number one. It doesn't sound like a, a blast by any stretch. And and no matter how much I believe in the truth of Scripture, and I do, we still have, as human beings, in a frailty of our lives, we have a bit of doubt that pro- many people probably mm-hmm. have some doubt that persists in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and I had a um, pastor friend of mine, she, she said, you know, we never get the full resolution of our doubt in this life, but we can ask for the gift of assurance that comes from faith that does then begin to persist in the doubt. And so when I would talk about eternal security from the sense of the lens of a growing assurance that something is true. And I will say over the last five years of my life, Bill, and I actually was just teaching about these things today, is that I, there, there is a sense in my spirit that, um, that I know that I am provided for, that I'm in God's hands. And that when I have to go myself into those waters of death, as Jesus did, and when he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit, those pathways are becoming familiar to me. I, I know that my death is coming as all of our death is coming, whether it's 50 years or five years, but there is a certainty and an assurance that's building that's origin is God alone, not my ability to convince myself of things. And there's, I, I, I'm sensing I'm in his hand, even in those waters. And I think that's the invitation, 
Now, I'm sure they're talking about eternal security from a different angle. And, and I understand that piece of it where it's just more like, I know I'm saved, once saved, now I said, you can't lose your salvation, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure that's what the text is inviting us into is that conversation. I think it's inviting us into growing in the stable assurance, uh, that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Like that is, I think, the realm of assurance that we're talking about. And it's interesting because the scripture, you, know, you look at First John, and I think it's chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that is Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life. Salvation, if you look at scripture closely, always puts the emphasis on the person of Jesus. Yep. It's not... Did I make the decision mm-hmm. at a certain time? Do I go to church? Am I a good person? So when people say to me, well, I, I prayed at a Billy Graham crusade 30 years ago, I'll say, terrific. And how are you doing with Jesus today? Because the issue is not 30 years ago. It's right now. Are we walking with him every day? Because that's what it means to know Jesus. And when I was 20 and came to know that verse, 1 John five thirteen, I can know, that changed my life. Me too. I knew and I've known ever since that my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Do I have doubts? Yes. And I got I fight those doubts by claiming the promises of God, prayer, Holy Communion, going to church. I have doubts, but I love the Luther quote. When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. When I look to Christ, mm-hmm. I don't know how I can be lost. Great. And that, I, I mean, I do know I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Uh, and I, that changed me, and I don't ever want to go back to the old way. Yeah. yeah, I think one more piece of the puzzle, like with those doubts that persist among us, I, there's the understandable impulse to want to resolve those doubts so through increasing intellectual conviction, mm-hmm. but the text is never inviting us into the strength of our convictions intellectually Amen. related to it. We're invited to surrender and trust and bend our knee, and then that is where the resolution of the doubt comes in. Yeah. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, there's still many more questions coming in. So thank you for those questions. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Talk power panel, the regulars. You, you, know, you know their names. Excuse me. No, yes, what? what, we what? It's not about people are turning but, in but for you, the first time and they want to know oh, who okay. are these gentlemen on the air. And I'm, we have big enough egos that we need our names on. about every you fifteen minutes. You got a whole minutes. song <laughs> to introduce you. Yeah. This is true. That's a good point, Tom Bill Rock. Come on, Bill. And we're just like meh. Yeah, I know. I'm the oldest guy here, but I'm the one that still is here. Can you guys turn the volume down a little bit? My own. He knows how to push oh our buttons, I tell you. I love yes, it. He does. Yeah. Uh, Peter, thank you for your vulnerability. It's way more encouraging than you know. Mm. Also, Tom, thanks for the Luther quote. This is a great conversation, guys. Thank you so much. Thank mm. you. That's great. Um, Which Tom? You. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, another question. Chicken soup over here. I understand. Okay, right. Go. Came in. My 14-year-old grandson has all of a sudden decided he wants to be Catholic. He wants to go to Mass, and he wants me to go with him. I'm an evangelical Christian and have raised him that way. Should I take him to Mass? I was raised Catholic, and I'm really having a hard time with this as I didn't get saved until I became an evangelical. So, 
Yeah, those are those are hard issues, aren't yeah, they? they are. yeah. I mean, yeah. I just and I and again, really sympathize when somebody has encountered Jesus in the authentic way in which we can, and especially if the medium through which they encountered Jesus was a Protestant kind of experience. Um, that I think that we naturally want to have that, especially when we have children, you want your children to have that same kind of experience. And so um, I think we can safely say, and I think you guys would agree, that although we are disagreeing about some of the theological takes within the Catholic Church, and I could disagree with some of the takes within the Protestant Church as mm-hmm. well, that Jesus' grace can meet people in a variety of oh, these sure. theological traditions. And, and so, um, and especially when so much of our conversion is about the conversion to following Jesus, that we're moving into it from from a life that is idolatrous and self-absorbed and on our own, like we're now we're moving as a life that is surrendered towards discipleship. And I'll keep kind of beating the drum that I want to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater because I found some beautiful invitations into the richness of discipleship from within the Catholic tradition, even while I resist the heresies as we have done today with indulgences and some of the other things. And I said in uh, during the commercial that there's a Catholic church near my house that I go to on uh, now and then. I, I go to a Lutheran church, but I go there maybe on a Saturday night now and then. Sitting through the whole service, there's almost nothing at this church that they're talking about that any of us would disagree with. Sure. It mm-hmm. just doesn't come up. I've never heard them. The only time purgatory comes up is when they say this Mass is being said in commemoration or whatever of mm-hmm. Uncle Joe and who is getting out of purgatory quicker. They don't say that. Yeah. They don't say that. They just say in commemoration of Uncle Joe. So uh, I, I think you can find the gospel in the Catholic Church if the priest has the sense to preach it. Um, but I, I could say that a Lutheran church, a lot of Lutheran churches don't preach salvation. Yeah, sure. I watched our across the street neighbors growing up um, be saved within the context of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I watched a new life present among them in that context. So. Mm-hmm. See, I think this grandparent has a great opportunity, and the reason I say that is that when kids have this kind of curiosity or they want to do this, there's something going on spiritually within them. Yeah, go with them. If you grew up Roman Catholic, you can ask questions between that and Protestantism that probably Protestants couldn't. So go, then go home and talk about it. And give that young person time. If I was the devil, here's what I'd want. I'd say, Peter, don't you dare, dare go there with your grandchild. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll ruin them. And that creates anger in that child and a sense of what's so bad about this that I can't even look at it. Mm. Go with the truth and walk with them. Agreed. I got an email this week from a lady who said, you know, exactly pretty much what you're saying. My my son now has joined the Catholic Church. He wants me to join I'm so upset about this because I'm an evangelical, et cetera. And I, I, I said, you know, I pray before you respond to these things. And I, I said, you know, it could be worse. I don't like Catholicism either and I, for the reasons we've been talking about. But um, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can't find Christ and salvation in that church. It's just layered by so much other stuff. Mm-hmm. I went to Catholic grade school through eighth grade, and my seventh grade religion teacher— uh, in Catholic grade school, bought us Bibles, hmm. inscribed wow. our names in them, wow. and had us memorize First John one nine, mm-hmm. and said we were all raised in families to believe in God. But there comes a point where you need to own your own faith. You need to make it your faith and not the faith of your family, and to make a personal decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Mm. And I thought to myself. That's the best news I've ever heard. That's great. That sounds just a little bit like the gospel. I will do that today. Yeah. And I pray to receive Christ. Um, 
at the end of that Bible study. And yeah. I thought, this is the greatest and, day of my life. And, and that's, wow. that's wow. why this is so much bigger than Catholicism or Protestantism. Totally. There's one lady who led you to the Lord. A man. A, a man yeah. that led you. Now he's a lady? But up, um, no. no. But he, here's one person that led you to the Lord. And on the other hand, you've got him and I've got him too. People are so angry with the Catholic Church because I sat in that church for 40 years and never once heard the gospel till I watched Billy Graham. So you, it's all over the board. Mm-hmm. And you can't really say it's Catholic or Lutheran. It's just who's well, there, presenting the gospel to and you. And you and I know there are a lot of Lutheran churches you can go to and never hear the gospel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, that's an incredible memory, Bill. Like I'm thinking back on my time in, in Catholic school, too, and my parents uh, <laughs> became Protestants I can't, somewhere along the way for me when I was still in Catholic school. So I actually had to sit out communion on Wednesday Mass at the Catholic elementary school with the other Lutheran girl that I otherwise didn't have anything in common with during the week. But <laughs> we sat in our solidarity of our protest in, in, in Mass. But but even in that, even though I didn't wasn't part of the communion experience, one thing that I, I miss about participating within the Catholic Church is because it is a Catholic Church, it's a worldwide church, and that's not without its issues, just that very statement. I felt like I was part of something bigger than I did when I was a part of my evangelical church that kind of had its own little thing going on and almost was in competition with the other evangelical churches in the area for who could get the biggest youth group and all these sorts of things. I never sure. felt that sense of it. The only other memory I had was getting dragged in from the playground by my ear, by the by the nun in first grade. So that, and that was a pretty common experience. I, think, I remember so. one older pastor said this to me one time, and it really has stuck with me. He said, all the years I've been at this church and the church has grown and a lot of people have come to Christ despite my best efforts. And I had to think about that for yeah. a moment. Despite your best efforts. He says, look, the salvation has nothing to do with me. I'm here to present the gospel. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't move like it did in, in Bill's life and through that person, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget the Holy Spirit can move. He can move among Lutherans. He can move among Protestants. He can move among Muslims and bring people to Jesus. It's happening all the time. Yeah. And I mean, think of this lady that wrote me, that, and I said it could be worse. At least he's going to church, and it's not a cult. It's not Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. Okay, it's Catholic. And I, and I said to her, I'd be concerned too. But back about 2000, or, or, or earlier, one-third of Minnesota was Catholic, one-third was Lutheran, one-third was everything else. Fast forward to today, things have changed so much, you can't say that anymore, mm-hmm. because what's one-third is nothing now, I think. Yeah, that's, that's the nuns are one-third, yeah. for sure. All right, we have time for uh, one more. What is the role of doubt in discipleship? role of doubt is to force us to get that doubt resolved, to start looking, to start searching, to start, you know, gleaning the scriptures. I think the devil loves doubt when we just don't do anything with it, and then it, you know, always is driving us crazy. I tell people there's good doubt and there's bad doubt. Mm -hmm. And the good doubt is to say, I don't know, but I'm going to call Bill on the radio show, or I'm going to go in my Bible, or I'm going to go look this up. And you pursue that until you find some answers. Mm Mm-hmm. One more question. In the rapture, all believing Christians will be taken up to heaven. Will that include children under the age that don't yet understand the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior? Oh, gosh. Now we're in the age of accountability question that yeah, puzzled the one. church. Yeah, maybe like the 16th century was primarily when that one came to play. Uh-huh. But, um, boy, I mean, I, I know that very recently Catholic theology changed where uh, at the advent of Augustine in about the 400s is when we first see uh, infant baptism take place as a means by which people thought that you could wash away the stain of original sin. The church hadn't practiced that for 400 years. But as recently as uh, 1960, 
the Catholic Church modified its position on infant baptism to say that unbaptized infants or people before the age of accountability are now left into the hands and the grace of God, which is a humongous change theologically as recently as 62 well, uh, years ago. It, so got, I don't think we know for sure. We've got 64 million aborted babies in this country. Exactly. You know, we've got to have some real biblical answers because there are a lot of hurting people out there. there are. A lot of mothers who went through an abortion and now regret it. And I've worked with them. Yep. They need to know that Jesus Christ is still there. Well, mm-hmm. I think that gets back to something that we started this entire show with, Tom, and that was that um, within these really complex issues of the day, the Ukraine, that we wake up to, right? And we, we've talked about a lot of complex issues today. And I think within the hostility that's coming to Christianity, I think the response that might be the counter response within Christianity will be an invitation to a much more in-depth and complex and and um, empowering, equipping journey of discipleship. I think we're coming to the end of the seeker-friendly churches as these means, means of making Christianity palatable to people. I think we're talking about now the growth of light-shining disciples that can actually minister in the culture that's coming. Yeah, there's so many comments coming in. I don't know how to right now, right now navigate through these because we're out of time, unfortunately. Mm. And I don't like hang, leaving these hanging. This is really difficult because I know this has been a very lively topic and it's been a good topic, but there are a lot of things that are coming in that right now it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to address. Mm. Why don't you cancel your guest for the next hour and we'll just stay? Well, I could probably add him into a little bit more God talk, but <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what your schedules are. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want dinner. You hungry, Tom? <laughs> dinner. No, well, you go eat then. All right. I guess that will conclude Guy Talk. Uh, sorry if I didn't get to your questions or comments. They're excellent, and I apologize. Uh, so thank you for the comments you, you sent in. And I will take a short break, and then when I come back, Dr. Andy Scudinga is going to join me. He's a psychology professor, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Be right back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.